So today, we're starting a new series that we've titled Revealed. Revealed. And the word reveal, just in its simplest definition, is to make known or disclose that which is hidden. And so when you start to study the life of Jesus, he made known many of the mysteries of God. In the Old Testament, it's been said that Jesus was concealed, but in the New Testament, he is revealed. So as we talk about this whole thing of being revealed, the question we're going to ponder over these next weeks is, who is the real Jesus? Who is the real Jesus? Because you'll hear different takes and different uh, people share about who Jesus is to them. But the question is, who is he really? Now, in your bulletin, I would invite you to open it up because I've given you some resources that I would highly encourage you to read and ponder. Now, nothing is a substitute for the Word of God. The Word of God is where we're going to go. That's where we're going to stand. That is the source. But there's some other great reads out there. Right after I was saved, I read a book called More Than a Carpenter. Josh McDowell, who was a lawyer who was agnostic and who was anti the things of God, comes to faith in Jesus, and he writes this little simple book called More Than a Carpenter. And he lays out some incredible fundamental truths of who Jesus was. Josh McDowell wrote a deeper research called The Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And Josh lays out again the claims of the deity of Christ. I think it's a phenomenal read. And you're sitting here going, hey, I want to read along with some of the stuff that we're going to be covering. Those those are two good books by Josh. Max Lakeda. Max is one of my favorite writers. I got turned on to him years ago. His first book, On the Anvil, was good. And then he came back and wrote, God came near, and no wonder they call him the Savior. Two incredible books right after I got saved that I read. And so I want to encourage you maybe to just uh, download these on your Kindle, get on Amazon, buy them. I think they will highly encourage you. Lee Strobel has written great works about the case for the creator, the case for God. He's got a book called The Case for Christ. I would highly encourage you to ponder that. And I'll stop for a second and look at me. Now, here's going to be kind of a, a, a key passage and a launch, if you will, of everything we do. I want you to write this down, and I would encourage you to remember this first. Memorize it, meditate on it, and study it. First Peter chapter. 3 verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. And, and here's what Peter is driving home. This guy that walked with Jesus and hung with Jesus, he's driving home this even back in his generation about 50, 60, 70 AD. He says, sanctify Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Always be ready to give an answer and a defense for the hope that you have within you, yet do it with incredible reverence toward God and gentleness toward other people. So that's the passage that God is calling us, the word defense or the word answer. Be ready to give it for the hope you have is the word apologia, and it's where we get the English word for apologetics. It's a Uh, A study uh, of really being able to defend the claims of Christ. People study eschatology in times and they study hermeneutics and all this other stuff in seminary. But when we look at the word apologetics, it's being able to rightly divide and stand on the claims of Christ and present him into the world in which we live. Is that cool? That's cool. So I want to encourage you as we kind of kick it off. Those are some good resources. Now here's an observation. You can talk about God in our culture, and most people will not become offended. 
God has become kind of a generic term, and it can really include pretty much any religious system. As you deal with Islam, and as you deal with Buddhism, as you deal with all these other Hindu flavors, God has become a generic term. But talk about Jesus specifically, and people want to stop and fight. Now, that's an interesting observation as we look at 2015 postmodern subjective reasoning world in which we find ourselves. You can talk about Muhammad. You can talk about Buddha. You can talk about Confucius. And it seems that people are okay with that. But why do people get so ticked and so mad when you talk about Jesus? I believe the fundamental reason is this. None of these other religious leaders claim to be God. None of them claim to be God. And what separated Jesus' teachings, his ministry, his life, his death, his burial and resurrection, is that Jesus Christ claimed to be God. Now, I want to pick up a story in Matthew 16. Jesus says, been hanging out with these guys we call disciples, apostles, and they're 19, 20, 21 year old boys. And they've been hanging with Jesus and they've been hearing some pretty cool teaching and they've been seeing some pretty amazing things go down. Jesus takes these guys to a place called Caesarea Philippi. You can read it in Matthew 16. And when he takes them to Caesarea Philippi, it, uh, Caesarea Philippi, it is a place of decision. It is a place of decision in their lives. Now, you can study this historically. Caesarea Philippi was known for pan worship. Pan worship was one of the most perverted, infected forms of worship known to man. Not only in that day, but even now. Caesarea Philippi was this place where all these sexual orgies and all this chaos took place. Where people were living in heightened perversion. Sin. And so Jesus takes these boys to this place where pleasure and fun could be experienced. And he looks at them, and it's about a 40-mile hike that they've made to get there. Jesus pauses and looks at them while they're there at what is called the gates of hell, this entrance into a cave that kind of led to where all this worship took place. And Jesus said, fellas, who do people say that I am? And so they began to spit out answers. And then he stopped and he said, but who do you say that I am? And I think that's the question I would pose to you as we kind of get rolling today. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? We're going to look at a few different observations in our culture. But who do you say that the real Jesus Christ is? Now, the names Jesus Christ are not a first and last name. Be good to write this down. The name Jesus is not a first name and last name like Tim Cash or Mike Monroe or Nick Slade would be first and last name. The name Jesus comes from the Old Testament word Joshua or Yeshua. Now, the name Yeshua is interesting. It means Jehovah saves or the Lord is our Savior. So when you hear people say Jesus, what they're saying is Jehovah offers salvation. Now, the name Christ is interesting. It comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which literally translates the anointed one or, as we see, the Christ. Now, Jesus, the Christ. Now, we oftentimes say, hey, man, do you know Jesus Christ? But it would probably be better to say, do you know Jesus, the Christ? Do you know the Lord who saves that's the anointed one from God? 
So who do you say that he is? Peter in Matthew 16 looks and says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You're the anointed one. That's who you are while they're at Caesarea Philippi. Now, Jesus doesn't correct Peter. Jesus doesn't look at Peter and go, you're tripping, dude. Don't ascribe such statements to me. He looks and he says, Peter, my father in heaven, reveal that to you. No human being has taught you that. The fact that you can say that's who I am, my father in heaven has let you in on a revelation. That's who I am. You go on and read in John chapter 11, Jesus shows up. Mary and Martha and Lazarus has died. And and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and Martha makes this statement. I have always believed, Jesus, that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. He didn't correct her. He didn't rebuke her. He didn't say, stop it. Nathaniel, who was a skeptic in John 1, Nathaniel makes this declaration, Rabbi Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. That's who you are. Now, here's the fundamental truth. Throughout the pages of the gospel, listen to this. Jesus declared himself as being one with God. He never declared himself to be less than God. He always declared himself to have equality with God. So when these JWs and Mormons and others come along and their translations have jacked with John 1.1, which John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the Christ, the Anointed One, Mashiach. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when the JWs and Mormons come and they use that little word A, that Jesus was a God, they've reduced him down and eliminated his deity. I've learned this repeatedly. I even saw it happen again this week as I've dealt with some situations. If you can discredit the messenger, and if you can reduce the messenger, you can dismiss his message. Who do you say that he is? Jesus makes these bold proclamations. I'll stay majority in John today. But Jesus said, if you knew me, you'd know my father. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. Jesus said, the one who dishonors me is dishonoring the father. Jesus says, anyone who does not honor the son is not honoring the father. Jesus repeatedly is establishing equality as deitic. I am God. I'm God. He's not less than. So here's some interesting thoughts. Josh McDowell again. Here's what he said. Jesus claimed to be God, and to him it was of fundamental importance that we believe him to be who he is. Either we believe him or we don't. He didn't leave any room for watered-down interpretations of who he is. That's what Josh says. To claim what Jesus claimed about himself couldn't be just a good moral man or a prophet. That option is not open to us, and Jesus never intended for it to be. Oh, he's a good prophet. He's a good teacher. 
That's not an option. He's either God or he's not. C.S. Lewis, who was an agnostic, mere Christianity, screw tape letters, the great divorce, the chronicles of Narnia. One of the most brilliant thinkers of his generation, C.S. Lewis writes this after coming to faith in Christ. I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept him as a a great moral teacher, but I don't accept Jesus' claim to be God. He goes, I'm trying to prevent you from being foolish. Don't go there. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic. Even on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or he would himself be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. Lewis adds, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. But let us not come to him with any patronizing nonsense about him being just a great human teacher. He said that option has never been open for us. Read C.S. Lewis. So today, my friends, we invite you to the deeper end of the pool where we're going to reason from an apologetical standpoint. Now, here's an interesting observation. When you study trials... And some of you, even Steve and my buddy Burge and others over the last few weeks have set in as a juror on trials. When you study trials, and even you go back some 2,000 years ago, the person that was being led to a place of crucifixion and death was on trial for what they had done. They had either been uh, murdered someone, they were either a, a major thief and had repeated or whatever, and so they were always on trial for what they had done. Jesus Christ was on trial for who he claimed to be. Even Pilate would conclude, I find no fault with this man. And after that crucifixion, he would write there, truly this was the king of the Jews. So I pose four options to you today. Was Jesus a liar? Was he a lunatic? Was he a mere legend? Or is Jesus Christ Lord? Who is he? The Jewish leaders, many said, he's a liar. He, 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 he just tells lies. He has no truth in him. As Jesus began teaching in the synagogues of Capernaum, that little village right off the Sea of Galilee, about 1,500 people, where Jesus established his home base to do ministry, Jesus was teaching in the synagogues. People were coming. People were listening. People were fascinated. But many of the Jewish leaders looked and said, he's a liar. Did you hear what he said? We know him. He's 30 years old. We know his mama. We know his daddy. We've seen him grow up. We we know where he came from. And in John chapter 6, we read this. The Jewish leaders were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joe, whose father and mother we know? How does he say I've come down out of heaven? Let me spin it for you. Modern day. Modern day. Now, Suppose someone comes to you and tells you they're the next anointed prophet of God. Just suppose. Go back some 2,000 years ago and play this out. 
Jesus is telling these guys and these religious leaders and these teachers of the law, I have come from heaven. No, dude, we saw you grow up. We, you get your lying honest. I remember about 30 years ago when your mama was about 15 and she started telling people the way she got pregnant. You get it honest. Oh, we heard the story that some angel appeared to her and, and said, Hell favored one. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Your mama, you get it honest, bro. She was a liar. Your, your dad, I know he had a clean cut reputation, bro, but do the math. Your mama said that her and your daddy didn't hook up before her conception. I think Mary's middle name was Jane, brother, because those were some hippie, trippy people you come from. <laughs> Painted up. Something's wrong with the story. Something's wrong. So they conclude, looking at Jesus, he's a liar. How can he say? We know his mom. We know his dad. But Jesus claimed that he was God. Here, here, here's the thought. If he was lying, as we study the scripture, we have two really observations and conclusions to reach. Either he knew he was lying and kept doing it, or he was disillusioned and had no clue. Those are really the two fundamental options you look at. Is he really God? If you conclude he was a liar, and some people have, then you have to look and say, well, if he knew he was lying, he was deceiving hundreds upon thousands of people, telling them that he could provide eternal life for them if he was lying. If he was lying, he was a hypocrite because he told people to be honest no matter what the cost, and here he is running a scheme. If he is a liar, he's a fool because he ultimately was crucified and shredded at the tender age of 33, if he's lying. And so when you look at this, people conclude, he was just a liar. He was not God. Well, you cannot conclude based on the impact that he's had on the world and the, the teachings that he shared and the change that's been brought about that he was just a liar. Anywhere the name of Jesus Christ has been proclaimed for the last 2,000 years, globally, people's lives are radically changed for the better. Nations are changed. Alcoholics become sober. Thieves start to clean up their journey. Haters become lovers in the name of Jesus. Tell me one other name that's created so much power and deliverance and freedom than the name of Jesus. And some would say, he's just a liar. I declare to you today that he was not a liar. Some say he was a lunatic. Dude was crazy. He was crazy. And some of the Jewish leaders concluded this, even in Matthew 12. Listen to this. The scripture says in Matthew 12, verse 22, that a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and Jesus healed the man. And the man spoke, and the man saw, and the man experienced delivery. He, 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 he experienced restoration. Listen, when the Pharisees heard this, 
They said, this man cast out demons only by the name of Beelzebul, who was worshipped, or at least he had notoriety as, as this great demon. The only way he does what he does is he's demon-possessed. He's crazy. This dude's nuts. He's casting out and healing people in this demonic spirit. That doesn't make any sense. It's hard to imagine to me that Jesus could be as nuts as he was and make some of the most solid, pro prophetic, profound statements ever known to humans. I'm reading through the Gospel of John, and again, here's some of them. I came down from heaven. You must come to me if you're ever going to get to the Father. I will be resurrected. That is a bizarre statement. I will be resurrected? You're telling us that we're going to kill you and you're coming back? Believe it. Believe it. He goes on to make statements like, I am the object and the emphasis of everything the Old Testament prophets have ever taught. Everything they recorded, everything they wrote was all about me. Really? I mean, he makes these crazy statements. He says, I was sent from God and I have seen the Father. They're like, bro, even Moses who got the Ten Commands from God, he couldn't even look at God and you've seen him? Seen him. And then he goes on to say, if you will come to me and truly believe. I'm not talking about acknowledge. I'm talking about repent and believe. Place your faith and confidence and trust totally in me. You'll have eternal life. Man. So when you look at these right here, you go, these are not passive statements. These are not deflection statements. These are deitic proclamations from the one and the only one who is capable of making them. When you study the life of Jesus, he demonstrated meekness, not weakness. He lived a life of holiness, not hypocrisy. He lived a life of power, not pride. If Jesus Christ was crazy, Tim Cash prays that he would be filled with the same level of insanity. I want to be known as crazy by the world if that's the label they place on my Savior. That dude's nuts for the kingdom. He really believes that Yeshua HaMashiach really is the anointed one, the Savior, the risen one. He just doesn't acknowledge it. He walks it. I don't believe he was a legend. I don't believe he was a liar. I don't believe he was a lunatic. Some people have ascribed, he was just this legend. He's this myth. I mean, what happened is, after a few years went by, they started to ascribe to him all this. He, he, he never really said all the stuff that he said, but, but, but his legend grew, much like St. Nick. How dear get caught up into this generosity thing? I don't know that one either. But the myth grew, Tim. And some people have held to that. I mean, it eventually got to that he was a virgin-born kid. It eventually got to the place where he had all this supernatural power. It eventually got that he did all these miracles. It eventually made its way into what we call the four Gospels. It's just a myth. If it's a myth, I want to be mythified every day by the goodness of who he is. It's a myth. It's not a myth. John records again in his gospel these 
incredible eight strong I am statements where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You're hungry. You're longing for spiritual nourishment. Come to me. I'm the bread of life. John goes on to write, Jesus said in John 8, I am the light of the world. As you walk in darkness and as you are confused and you're looking for direction, I'm the light of the world. He goes on to write, hey guys, you Jews, I know you love your patriarchs and you've got David and others. But before Abraham was born, I am. I've existed before Abraham was born. I've existed before there was an Isaac to be sacrificed. Man, I am. He goes on to say, I'm the door. I will be hung, but in order for you to get into the gate of heaven, I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. I'm the resurrection and the life. John 15, I am the true vine. I am, I am. What is he saying? I am Almighty God. In the beginning. Go back to the beginning. He didn't start when the start got started. He started start. He started the beginning. He didn't have an origination. He's God. He didn't begin when the beginning began. He began the beginning. He's God. So we look at him and go, what am I going to do with him? I would ask this question to those who use the argument that he's just a legend. Why would John, who eventually was the only one who was not martyred for his faith, but was boiled in this boiling water on Patmos, why would he ascribe such crazy statements to Jesus if they were not true? Why would he and the other guys give their lives and eventually die a martyr's death, 10 of the 11, if what they were saying was a lie. I'm tapping out on the myth. I'm not dying for a lie. But why would they do it? Why would they leave family? Why would they leave business? Why would they leave everything they knew to follow a whacked out, lying, lunatic, Jewish carpenter if he was not Lord? And I'll tell you why they did it. Because he was God and they knew it. They had come to the realization that he was the only one that could give them life and give them meaning and give them purpose and to give them sanity. He was the only one that could set them free from the disease of their soul and from the damage of their journey. They knew that he was God. So is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Is he a legend? Or is Jesus Christ Lord? The word Lord means master, ruler, the one with all authority. John chapter 20 verse 31, John would conclude in his writings of the gospel saying, all of this stuff that I've written has been written so that you will believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he's Lord and ruler and master. And by believing, you will have life in his name. I've written everything I've written to let you know he's God. He's God. October of this year will be 30 years 
since I fell on my face and asked him to be the ruler of my life. And I look back at where I was. I had a lot of less wild lovers, if you will. The things of the world. I mean, it was baseball, babes, and Budweiser for a while. And I'm going to tell you this. There were a lot of empty days spinning, stuck in a rut, not going anywhere. My dad had come to faith in Christ, and my best friend Jeff had come to faith in Christ, and I saw a radical difference in these guys. What, what, what happened to you, Dad? Jeff, what happened? I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. He is now the Lord, ruler, master, controller of my life, and I'm missing it. I'm missing it. My dad, I would hear him get up in the middle of the night, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. You know when I talked about praying for those that were lost last week? Snot flying, tears flying, just crying out to God. God, save my boy. I love my boy. Save him. I'd see him. And I knew I was lost. You can't be saved until you realize you're lost. You can't be found until you realize you're lost. And man, I remember falling on my face in October of 1985, crying out, Jesus, save me from me and save me to you. Please forgive me and make me the person you want me to be. I didn't know any scripture. I didn't know anything, but I was lost and I wanted to be found. That's all I knew, that I was a sinner and I desperately needed a savior. That's all that I knew. And I cried out, Please save me and take over my life. A minute. 30 years ago, a minute. I, I didn't ask him to fix me and help my arm get better so I could throw harder or, or help me hook up with a couple of prettier chicks. I, I wanted to know Jesus. I, I didn't come to him as this cosmic Santa with a wish list. I said, I just want to know you. As Paul would say in Philippians 3, I just want to know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings. I just want to be conformed into the likeness of who you are. That's what I want to know. Nick wrote that song a few years ago, Evidence. And I'm listening to that song. I'd never heard Nick lead worship until the first day he stood on this stage. But he's like, I got this song on iTunes, man. Check it out. And I listen to it and I'm like, come on. You, you sing in my kind of song, brother. You just want to be, you just want to be in the presence of God. You just want to know him. Download it, 99 cents. Hook a brother up where he can get some new shoes. But here's the deal. <laughs> here's the deal. You say, Tim, do you really believe that some 2,000 years ago that God willfully took on a robe of flesh in the person of Jesus and infiltrated the virgin womb of a girl by the name of Mary? Believe it. Do you really believe that she was pure and her story wasn't a lie? She was telling the truth. And do you believe that Jesus was born in poverty? I, I, I believe it. Do you believe that he grew in stature and in wisdom and in favor with God and others? Do you really believe that he stayed clean and never sinned? I believe it. Do you believe when he was 12 years old and they've gone into Jerusalem and he stays back and they can't find him, that he's truly in the synagogue talking to the rabbinical teachers 
And they're blown away with his depth because of the shmika of a rabbi he's already speaking with. Do you believe that? Believe it. Because he's God. Do you believe that he launched his public ministry at the age of 30 and for 40 days and 40 nights he was tempted in the wilderness? And do you believe that every time the enemy came against him, he quoted scripture? Do you believe that he was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist? The dove descended upon him. And when he came up, he launched that public ministry where he started healing, where he started teaching, where he started loving, where he started encouraging, where he started reconciling lost people back to the Father. I believe it. I'm guilty. Do you believe? That he met with those disciples of his, broke bread and told them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. They're going to kill me, but on the third day I'm coming back. I believe it. Do you believe he hung there suspended between two thieves, brutally shredded and beaten? And he cries out, it is finished everything the Father has required for people in Loganville and beyond to have a relationship with God has been accomplished. Believe it. Do you believe he was placed in the tomb? And on the third day, as Peter and others got there, he had been raised from the dead. I believe it. Believe it. Do you believe he ascended after 50 days and the Holy Spirit was dispersed at Pentecost and those who had believed were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to do amazing things, even greater works than these you will also do? Believe it! Do you believe he's able to save the raunchiest of all sinners? Believe it! Why? Because he is God. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. And as we walk through this life, every day is a new declaration of death. Jesus, save me again just one more time from me and save me to you. Be my hands and the feet and the eyes and the heart that you want to be to this world. And, and, and let me chase after your heart and love you. But Lord, I take the word serious. Let me sanctify Christ as Lord in my heart. So that as I deal with this pluralistic society and this polytheistic belief system that so many come with, let me be ready to give an answer for the hope that I have in you. And that's what God wants for you. Some of you are sitting here saying, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Tim, he's not the Lord of my life. I know he's Lord. Now, he doesn't come to take part. He comes to take over. And he doesn't come to just be a resident. He comes to be president and ruler. We don't get to negotiate who he is. He's already established that. He's Lord. So you don't make him Lord. That's who he is. But you can ask him to be the Lord of your life. That's choice. Back to Genesis. I mean, you got the freedom to do that. Will a good God send people to hell? No. 
You'll send yourself there by refusing to receive the offer of his amazing loving grace. Don't be blaming him. Blame yourself. Look in the mirror. Pin the tail on the funky where it belongs. Hey, it's me. But the offer is available.